Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I'm here with Angela James. She's the founder and principal physiotherapist of Sydney Pelvic Clinic and it's a specialised pelvic health service for women, men and children. Welcome Angela, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me Karen, very excited to be here. This is a subject that's really close to my heart, pelvic physiotherapy, because I had internal prolapses and I've been fortunate enough because of the sport I've done that I've had a very strong pelvic floor, but I didn't know, and we were just saying this while we were off camera, there is so much, I'm in my late 50s now, and I'm only just finding things out that I wish I'd known 30 years ago. And so I'm so excited to talk to you because this is the kind of topic that isn't necessarily discussed. We need to understand it, men and women. 100%. For too long, I think people have been unaware about this deeper part of our body called the pelvis and the pelvic floor. And it just comes up as a, as a surprise at some point, maybe when we go through menopause or maybe as we get older or some of us after having a baby. But largely, if we knew about it before and raising awareness is just so important, so we do, we can actually take better preventative action before these symptoms arise. So, yeah, very passionate about this topic and raising awareness is a, is a really big part of changing the way people understand and manage their pelvic health across their lifespan. How is pelvic health important? Because I have to say, it's not something I ever considered. I've all, always been very proud of the fact that I've got strong stomach muscles, but never thought about the pelvic region. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things. So if you don't have problems, it probably doesn't take any of your attention away and just get on life as normal. But pelvic health includes bladder health, bowel health, sexual health, and also is the bridge. The pelvis is the bridge between the upper and the lower bodies. So it includes the hips and the sacroiliac joints and the pubic synthesis. So it's a massively busy area. It's a hub of force transmission with also this really key organ function. So you can imagine if things start to go wrong, it starts to have quite a dramatic impact on quality of life. So if you're rushing to go to the bathroom every hour or every time you cough, you start wetting your pants or if you sit on the toilet, you can't effectively start your wee or if you're constipated or if you can't control wind or if you have painful sex or if you have reduction in sensation with sexual function or you stop being able to orgasm. And that's just the sort of the organ function, let alone things like sacroiliac joint pain or pubic symphysis pain. So we know that when it works well, it doesn't take much of your attention at all. And it's amazing that it does most of the time. But when things start to go awry and start to go wrong, it can have this massive impact on people's um, quality of life and ability to stay focused on the present moment. So we think that 
it's a key part of your overall health. And so many, particularly women that have a fairly unique journey in their pelvises, thanks to being pregnant and having babies and going through menopause and age-related changes, that it needs to be seen as a really key pillar of body health. So you've got cardiovascular exercise, you want to have strength exercise, and you need to have pelvic floor exercise in there as well. And they should be seen with equal weighting. But of course, as you're alluding to, people just don't know about it. And so more often than not, things catch people by surprise. And it's really just the tip of the iceberg where we want to set a better foundation from early on. So these surprises don't come up and don't have such big impact on on people when they do. There's a couple of ways I want to go with this. But how early, like I don't, I need to go back a couple of steps actually, because I was completely unaware of any of this till you were just telling me. I hadn't thought about it. And then a few things clicked into place. Why is it we never think of the pelvis as being important? Like we'll do exercises at the gym and we focus on the upper body or the lo- the legs, or it's all about getting big bum muscles now. And it was a flat stomach for me. I wanted a flat stomach, but never on the actual pelvic area. Why do you think that is? I think there's a few things. I think out of sight, out of mind. So you can't see it. And maybe you don't have those sort of motivations of a toned pelvic floor as you do for a toned bicep or a toned tummy or a toned bottom. So you can't see it. And maybe you don't experience the effects of training it initially you don't get the massive endorphin highs you have from having a jog so you do definitely get payoffs later down the track but it's not instant gratification by any means and also I think there is some secrecy and almost unfortunately shame around pelvic health so say if we are having painful sex or something we don't necessarily go and speak to our friends about that but we would very much probably say if we've got pain in the hip or pain in the back so there's probably some secrecy and and a shame aspect to pelvic health when it goes wrong and we tend to shy away from having discussions or even knowing the words to talk about it the language that we use so yeah out of people's consciousness for a few reasons but that doesn't help in fact that sort of secrecy and unawareness that happens keeps us disempowered actually from a really critical area of our bodies and the only way to change that is to create much more awareness and consciousness and then hopefully positive action so it becomes part and parcel of good healthy body routines what happens because i'm just thinking my way through here so stay with this as i grasp my way to a conclusion What happens if you have a weak pelvis, for example, in terms of walking or because I'm thinking that if your pelvis is out of balance, that's going to impact your knees. So you might think you've got a knee problem, but actually it comes from your pelvis or you might get a backache and think there's something wrong with your spine, but it's because your sacrum's out of alignment. Is that right? How does that work? Well, look, the pelvis is Latin for bowl. So it's a basin of the spine and it's foundational. So every step you take, you place loads through your pelvis and to do it well, it needs to be balanced. So it needs to have this nice balance between enough strength and stability and flexibility to give us lots of choice in the way that we move. And 
If that balance is off, so whether that's tight muscles or weak muscles resulting in some sort of imbalance in the, the bony alignment of the pelvis, then that can create, has to change the way that we move and the way that we use muscles. And if we don't move efficiently or effectively over time, that can lead to a pain point further down the track. So knee pain or, or upper back pain or pain so there the body is an integrated system and if something's not quite right particularly in a critical area like the pelvis because it's the hub of force transmission then yeah there will be consequences that sort of show up so yeah quite commonly you'll find patients come and they've got symptoms in other parts of their body but you can see that yeah there's a there's a pelvic component and by addressing that it can actually shift these longer term pain points in their body that may not have been able to be shifted by directly treating just that local area yeah it's good to be aware that it's a critical area for movement and health and this is completely different to core strength, isn't it? Because, and I'm talking, we, we do all these core classes and, and they might say lift your pelvic floor or, or whatever as you're doing the exercises. But I think of core as being stomach muscles, but it's actually not. It's, it encompasses the whole pelvic area. So there's different to the core and I guess everyone's got a slightly different interpretation of it. But yeah, probably the lay person would understand the core is like the six back muscle and the obliques and ha- having it firm and strong but the pelvic floor and the deep tummy so the transverse abdominis and a little muscle in the back called the multifidus they're your deepest layer of core muscle which um, stabilizes the spine and the pelvis and so when you're talking about core it's that layer so that's your inner core which really works to stabilize pressure in the middle of your body and it should come on prior to movement actually so it's not a movement-based muscle it's a It's a pressure stabilizer and a preparatory to movement muscle where the outer core, which is things like your obliques and your rectus, they're your movement muscles. So when you do a sit-up, that's a rectus muscle exercise. And if you do a side plank or um, crunches and you're twisting, that's your obliques. So they, of course, are important, have purpose. But again, it's coming back to that idea of balance between the systems. And if you're all outer core and no inner core, then that creates a pressure imbalance. Balance, and that can create changes at the level of the pelvis. So it can uh, increase your chances of urinary incontinence because you're putting pressure down with no pressure to come up and to stabilize that. So the result can be losing urine. Or over time, if it's increased pressure regularly over a period of time, it can in- increase your chances of having something like pelvic organ prolapse. And that's particularly important for populations that already have a weakness in that pelvic floor because they're more susceptible. So that's where it comes to be more important for women that have been pregnant or had a vaginal birth or um, have been through menopause because we know those critical moments that are really special, but they come at a cost to our pelvic floor uh, function. And we also know tied into that is say you're at the gym and you're doing core exercises and the gym instructor might say, turn your pelvic floor on. We know about 70% of women will get that wrong. So we cannot assume by just saying, turn your pelvic floor on, that women do it well and do it effectively. It does speak to that idea of making sure that at some point the woman has a pelvic floor assessment and figures out what's going on with their pelvic floor and how do they turn it on and what do they need to increase the function of the pelvic floor and overall pelvic health. 
because you can't see it. It's not like the bicep and you say, bend your elbow and you're like, great, that's definitely the bicep because nothing else can be doing that. Women can do all sorts of things, squeeze their bottoms, squeeze their abs, hold their breath, tighten their shoulders, and it can be absolutely not on the pelvic floor at all. Mm. I was going to ask you that. It's when you meditate and they they walk you through, start with your big toe and then you work to your little toe and you might be thinking, hang on, little toe, you've got to wiggle it a little bit so you can connect to it. The pelvic floor is the same. If you've never tapped into it, it's going to be different. So how do you connect with your pelvic floor and how do you actually, what exercises can you do to strengthen those inner core muscles? Because now I'm thinking all of those core classes that they do at the gym, they're not really core classes. They're the outer stomach classes, aren't they? Yeah, that would be a better word for it. So you could yeah, help people understand that there is a different layer. And so to, yeah, so to connect to the pelvic floor, it's really getting, the, it's the right technique and the feeling in the body is some sort of internal squeeze and lift, vaginal squeeze and lift, like you're drawing something in. And you could use like an image of an elevator, so squeezing the doors closed and lifting up level one, level two, level three, or thinking about a straw coming out of the vagina and drawing fluid up the straw. That's the sort of cue that would get the pelvic floor working or the sense of stopping urine mid-flow, but not, you don't want to do that literally very often, but that's a good actually test to try and connect and feel the pelvic floor or the sense of stopping wind. So that kind of holding contents in. Now, in terms of effective exercises, what we definitely know to get maximum change, like a lot of muscle training, it's strength-based training. So we're really looking at that kind of feeling of a maximum squeeze, a high intensity without cheating, without using the bottom, without using the belly and holding it for a period of time, six to eight seconds at that high level and then being able to do a decent amount of reps. So maybe again, six to eight reps and a couple of sets. Now, it's also important to say everyone is so individual. So some people can get stuck at the connection phase. So they, again, they do all those strange muscles that don't necessarily help. They can't actually connect the pelvic floor. So they really do need help to get that foundation. And then everyone's got a different level of function. So some people are actually really high tone and really tight. So their program needs to start on relaxation and letting the pelvic floor go before they can do effective strength training. Where some people are really weak and holding just for one second is a challenge or two seconds is a challenge. So they need to be slowly built up over time. So everyone has a different level of connection and function in their pelvic floor. So they need to start or enter into pelvic floor muscle training at a different point. But ultimately, what makes the biggest change to pelvic floor muscle function is strength-based training for the pelvic floor. And how do you do strength-based training for the pelvic floor? <laughs> yeah, so that's that, that, that idea of that maximum hold. So instead of doing quick ones or slow endurance, it's really about that big, strong squeeze and holding for six to eight seconds, not long periods of time, just like you would train another muscle for strength. It's about high load and shorter periods of time. And then there's some other things that you can add in to help enhance that strength training effect, which, yeah, can be useful like vaginal weights. That's something that um, some people do add in for increased uh, effect. And then, of course, the relatively new Mcella chair can also kind of super max contract that pelvic floor and make it adapt faster to a strength type training regime. Vaginal weights. Yeah. <laughs> 
there are vaginal weights. Yep, just like you would add weights to your biceps or your quads, there are vaginal weights, definitely. Yes. So tell me what that looks like. I'm curious. Yeah, so it's like, um, I guess, a ta- like a tampon, a little bit bigger than a tampon. Actually, there's different sizes because all vaginas are different. Yeah, you choose the size that will hold in place. Uh, so you can imagine if it's too small, it can just fall out. And if it's too big, it will be uncomfortable. And then this, the type that we use, you it's actually a container. So you can unscrew um, the top part and you can add uh, different weights. So little two grams, five grams, 10 grams. And you so slowly titrate up as your muscles get stronger. So you're adding that progressive resistance. And also it adds a novel element to training. So it can keep people more engaged in their program and, and they can see progress. So that can be motivating. That's all part of sticking with a regime. The evidence actually says uh, it doesn't necessarily dramatically improve results, adding the, the weights, but for the right person, it can improve their adherence. Yeah, so that's interesting. If you do the basics really well and and work towards a sort of strength training parameters you can get, get just as good at outcomes actually as adding in the vaginal weights would yeah. the weights help you locate the muscle though that's where that's maybe yeah maybe was- part of it is the fact that you're doing a task like you're you know drawing something literally drawing something in versus just thinking about it that yeah that might create increased connection to the brain and therefore the body so yeah quite possibly that helps as well how Not did it. you end up doing this? Tell me a bit about how you got to where you are, because this is quite special. Obviously, you're fascinated by this and you're really passionate. What? Tell me about your journey here. I probably, like most physios, thought I'd be a sports physio. I was a, an elite level hockey player and I very much thought I would be the physio for the hockey rooms if I wasn't the hockey myself. So that's what I intended to do with physio. But I just guess that I didn't love sports injuries as much as what I thought that was quite a surprise and I got a little bit lost in my early career thinking oh dear what have what am I going to do with this I really love the body I really love helping people I really love the idea of physiotherapy but I didn't quite find my niche and I did a course on sacroiliac joint and pubic synthesis very early on and I it just opened a Pandora's box for me actually I just fell in love with the complexity And I knew that there was just layers and layers. I knew that there was bladders and bowels. And and so I knew I'd just begun this sort of journey of discovery. And so I started to head down there. But it was when I was referred a young female patient and she had a condition called vaginismus, which I'd never heard of before in my training. I didn't know such a thing existed. So I rang around colleagues and no one else seemed to know what that condition was or what you do with that condition. And so I looked into it myself, I listened to the patient, I reasoned my way through it. It was where she just could not tolerate vaginal penetration and she was married and trying to consummate her marriage and trying to move forward with having a baby. And anyway, we ended up solving the problem. And I just thought that is amazing. If I can help someone reclaim that part of their life and move forward towards their goals to create a family then that to me creates so much more meaning than fixing an ankle sprain so I was hooked and I've really been there ever since it's 17 years that I've been in pelvic health and I'm still fascinated and still learning and I think it's the complexity and then it's the impact of quality of life when things go wrong and then knowing that we have so many 
evidence-based tools and treatments that we can really dramatically change things for the better. It's very rewarding. So I, yeah, I do. I love it. I have a strong passion for it, as you can probably tell. That lady that came to you with the, that she wasn't able to have sex, what causes that? I've never heard of it, but like you say, this is one of those things that we don't necessarily discuss, but would be, we need to be talking about it. What causes it? What happens? Yeah, so I think people have got more of an understanding about weakness of the pelvic floor. You get pregnant, you might have a baby and that idea of wetting your pants, which is 50% of the population after having a baby. So people are aware and can make sense of that. The other side of the spectrum is tension. So when the pelvic floor muscle is actually too tight and loses its elasticity, So that will create a problem with creating space. And so using tampons can be painful or impossible. Having a vaginal exam or a pap smear can be painful and impossible. And so too can sex or anything to do with vaginal penetration. Vaginismus is actually a terrible word. I don't like it. Patients don't like it because it sounds like you've got some sort of bacterial infection and people stumble on the word all the time. So I think that word needs to go. But in, in essence, what it is, an inability of the vagina to adapt to stretch. And so you can imagine as a young female, if that's what you experience and you can't make sense of it, always that wasn't possible, it starts this spiral of events about what's wrong with me and no one else has this problem and they get fearful. So the next time they go and try and have sex, worse because they've got fear involved and it's a terrible cycle because even if they go and tell their doctor often the doctor doesn't necessarily understand the conditions so they get dismissed and yeah it's it's not much fun but but like any muscular dysfunction as long as you can identify what's the problem and then be able to train it towards balance, you can create dramatic changes. And that's definitely the case with um, this particular condition. Yeah. So that sounds like one of those scenarios, like with endometriosis and a few other things, where doctors aren't necessarily, and the women aren't necessarily understanding of what's going on to identify and go, okay, this is probably what it is, not just relax, take a few pills and come back to me in a few months. Mm. Go and see a physiotherapist to see Mm -hmm. if there's anything physically wrong would be the first step, wouldn't it? Absolutely. So that's right. They often get told that with the condition where they have pain, painful sex or the inability to have sex, they get told just have some wine, just relax, all sorts of things. I could write a chapter on the, in a book on the inappropriate suggestions from well-meaning friends or health professionals. But at the end of the day, they've tried all of those things and they wouldn't be coming to a health professional if they, if they had worked. Yes, very much a big message would be to make sure that you go and see a suitably trained pelvic health physiotherapist because they um, can help that condition. Actually, it's completely amenable to physiotherapy as long as you're seeing the right therapist, actually. Yeah, and same with endo. There's no way that someone that's had endometriosis-associated pain, so painful periods for long periods of time, takes about 10 years to get diagnosed. It's one in 10 women that have it. 
you can't expect the muscles in the pelvis to be in a relaxed state when you're having that cyclical pain. They will also have symptoms like painful sex and they'll have some of their pain that can be associated with the myofascial tension, which is a secondary effect of um, the endometriosis component of pain. So it's much broader. Endo is much broader than just the disease. So what's myofascial Tension. It's just tension in the muscles and the connective tissue. Yeah, myo is the muscle and fascia is just the connective tissue that attaches the muscles to other structures, other muscles, the bones. It's that spider web connective tissue that keeps everything integrated and connected. So when I think of going to a physio, it tends to be in the pelvic problems where you've got a weakness and you've got to strengthen it. How do you deal with somebody like that woman who had vaginismus? hideous word like you said yeah how do you deal with that when somebody's too tight and can't relax yeah that's a good question and it's really important particularly for menopausal women because we know when we go through men of the pelvic floor one of the things is that vaginal walls become thinner and they lose elasticity and they get dry so This symptom, it's actually dyspareunia, so pain with sex, is quite prominent in menopausal women. And so what needs to happen is the focus of the pelvic floor muscle training or intervention is teaching the woman to relax her pelvic floor. And that can be through just movement-based exercises. So the focus not necessarily being on that squeeze and lift and hold and hold, it's actually on the drop and the release and letting the doors open wide and breathing deeply into the pelvic bowl. It may need to include vaginal trainers, which are these sort of graded dildos actually, which gradually stretch the pelvic floor muscle and the vaginal walls out to an acceptable level that they have sex or have a pap smear or whatever it is that they want to be doing. And a lot of education around the fear um, aspect, which starts to happen if all you've experienced is pain and it hasn't been possible. So yeah, that's that education um, component is really important as well. People have a clear narrative about what's happening in their body. They're so much more empowered to be able to change it. So that's a big part of it. So yeah, education, pelvic floor muscle relaxation and, and graded dilator therapy. How does childbirth impact your pelvic floor? That's a big moment for the pelvic floor. It doesn't get much bigger than vaginal birth. (laughs) So really what happens with a vaginal birth is the pelvic floor needs to stretch three times beyond its resting length. That's huge. It's like putting your foot above behind your head, uh, which most circumstances you can't do without significant muscle damage unless you're very flexible so it can happen in the pelvic floor because the pelvic floor has these really unique adaptations to make that possible so the hormones soften everything the relaxin the fact that labor happens slow or should happen slowly over time so there's slow sustained stretch and we've got lots of smooth muscle in the pelvic floor that that make it possible but even so it's a peak moment for that pelvic floor and Sometimes there's um, injury to the pelvic floor. So you can have sort of tears in the muscle. You can have the muscle pulling away from its attachment site on the pubic bone. So it's really about the stretch to allow it to happen. And what we need to do, we need to get through to women the importance of closing that back out or regaining that firm tone as soon as possible because 
if women don't, so say you've had a vaginal birth and you've got this big stretch that's happened and you haven't had that recoil, which most of us don't just naturally have a recoil, most of us have to work on it, then it puts us more at risk of things like urinary incontinence, so leaking with coughing and sneezing or not being able to hold on as you get to the bathroom. But it also puts us more at risk of having things like pelvic organ prolapse where the organs, the bladder, the bowel or the uterus will drop down into the vaginal space and sometimes drop further out and really bother women with symptoms like vaginal bulge, dragging, heavy, not being able to empty your bladder or bowel very effectively. So in an ideal world, we have women really understanding the different challenges to their pelvic floor across their lifespan And then having women really focus on pelvic floor muscle training in pregnancy, optimising what happens in the moment of birth and then regaining as much function as possible to minimise the chances of these like pesky quality of life symptoms that come up over time. And menopause is another big one because so you've had that change in pregnancy and say you haven't recovered because you didn't know, no one told you, you weren't aware you've got away with it. Um, Maybe you're not having symptoms, but your function's not great. And then you get to another critical moment like menopause and you strip back the estrogen, which has a huge effect on the pelvic floor and the bladder and the urethra. And then boom, you're into urinary incontinence or, or prolapse and it can catch you out of nowhere. But But really, it's a predictable journey and it's preventable. We know that pelvic floor exercises prevent a lot of these symptoms. So like you said at the start, if only women knew and if only women were working on it as part of their normal exercise regimes, we really could prevent a lot of the uh, sufferance that happens later in life. It's As you're talking here, I'm getting flashbacks to a conversation with a friend a long time ago. And she was a nurse and she made a comment that, Earlier in a shift, she'd seen this old lady come in and her pelvic organs had literally dropped out of her vagina. And I was just mortified. She's like, yeah, it happens. We see it all the time. Just old ladies and everything drops out and they have to come in and we got to put it all back again. (laughs) Ladies, if you don't know that can happen, swear to God it can. (laughs) Yes, it's a real thing. In fact, 50% of women after a vaginal birth will have some level of prolapse. They're not all symptomatic at the time, but yeah, if you knew that, may, maybe women would understand the importance of really getting that pelvic floor muscle firmer and more functional because a, a better pelvic floor muscle prevents things falling through that space. So that, that's where the muscle retraining is just so important. It's You're closing down that portal so it doesn't have room to drop out. Yeah, so you can prevent it. But seriously, why doesn't anybody, why don't we know about that? Why don't we know that's a possibility so we can do something to help prevent that before we get pregnant, after we've given birth, and then as we go through life? If we knew it was preventable, it could happen and it was preventable by a few exercises, then more women might do it but if you don't know yeah that's it which is why I think anything that raises awareness and helps women understand how their bodies work and what things you can do to better support things like preventing prolapse and preventing urinary incontinence I think it's so important because 
maybe people know they need to do their pelvic floor exercises, but if it's not linked to what's in it for me, like stopping my organs falling out of my body or stopping me wetting my pants, then maybe the exercises just don't seem that important. So I think, yeah, I think that a big thing is helping women understand their bodies in a more intimate way with their pelvic health and then getting them to understand what they can do to best support the area and prevent these issues coming up. As I said, instead of that kind of shock and that moment, oh my goodness, where did that come from? And it's the tip of the iceberg of things that have happened over the course of a lifetime that, yeah, that leads you to that point. So yeah, if we did much more on prevention, I think the world would be a happier place. You're not kidding. So you work with men and children as well. And the problem, obviously they're different with guys, but what are the problems that arise in the pelvis with men and children? Yeah, so with men, they don't have the same effects of childbirth and menopause, but they still have a pelvic floor. Um, some of them are surprised to hear that, but they still have a pelvic floor and it can be affected with the same type of imbalance. So muscles can become too tight and if they become too tight, they can have pelvic pain. So they can have pain in the testicles, pain in the penis. They can have pain with erection, pain with ejaculation. They can have constipation. So that causes a big impact on, on quality of life. And then on the other side of the spectrum, they can also have weakness. And that can be mostly age-related weakness. After about 40, we start to rapidly reduce muscle mass if we don't do exercise. And that can reduce the support to the bladder specifically for men so they can have urinary incontinence. And if they have prostate um, cancer, so it's the most uh, prevalent type of um, cancer for men and they need surgery um, or radiation or anything that affects the, the quality of the tissues around the base of the bladder where the prostate is or was, that can really have a dramatic effect on their continence mechanism and also their erectile function. So as a pelvic health physio, that's what you deal with. You deal with um, pelvic pain, urinary incontinence and erectile dysfunction from a musculoskeletal perspective. And wow. then kids is similar, but it's different. So they have they can have things like constipation and bad toileting habits or non-optimal toileting habits. They can hold on. I know my boys don't like going to the toilet to do a number two at school. I think a lot of little kids are the same. So that can have some impact and problems. Urinary incontinence can happen. And, and often that plays back from a full bowel, but they can also have stress urinary incontinence and, and different things like that. So you you manage those things differently, age appropriately. But, but yeah, we have a, a significant number of children that seek out pelvic health services. And it's really wonderful that they do, actually. Their parents are tuned into that because if they're not well addressed in childhood, it'll follow them through their lifetime. And we know that quite a, a, a predict pelvic floor dysfunction through the lifespan is having something happening in childhood. Late um, bedwetting, that's another thing. If it's persisting after about the age of seven, that's not necessarily normal and can be addressed and should be addressed. So, yeah, it's interesting. There's you know, all It affects all genders. We all have a pelvis. We all have a pelvic floor. And different points of our lifespan, there's different sort of challenges that come up that can result in different symptoms of um, yeah, pelvic floor dysfunction. Out of curiosity, can you tell by the way somebody moves, by the way they walk, whether they've got issues with their pelvis? Oh, so looking at gait, I, as a physio, you pretty tuned into good movement. So, yeah, I guess you probably can. Like, oh, classic would be 
pregnancy-related pelvic girdle pain, if someone's coming in limping and not putting weight through one leg, going to be having a problem. If people are waddling, so if they're having that really wide gait, they're not wanting to put much pressure through the front of their pelvis. Short step lengths can certainly tell, tell you something. And I guess when it's more subtle, so it's if it's an uneven gait or stiff looking gait, you can tell as, as your patients walking into your room, sometimes what's going on with the way that they're moving and the way that they're protecting would be a good word, the way that they're protecting their pelvis. That's really interesting. I'm going to finish up now. Thank you so much. What I'll do is I put a link to all of your stuff and all your information on the website. But just before we go, tell me, is there anything else you want to let people know and how can they get in touch with you? Oh, I'd love everyone to know they have a pelvic floor (laughs) and to know how to keep it in good form across their lifespan and have a good pelvic health physio as part of your healthcare team to help guide you or be your pelvic floor coach on that journey. I'd love for that to be out there as a common thing that people do or people know about. We're, We're here to help support. It is a specialist thing. It's not every physio that will do this, is it? No, definitely not. So pelvic health physiotherapist is what you're looking for and someone with suitable qualifications, particularly around postgraduate training, is a good place to start or level of experience to make sure you're seeing the right person. Yeah, you wouldn't see your ankle physio for your pelvic floor. I hadn't thought of that because it is it's almost like a doctor specializing in something isn't it it's the same kind of thing you yeah it's a, it's a subspecialty yes that's right yeah, yeah. so because we've got a, a women's health clinic or something women's health physio and that's the same kind of thing they focus on yeah that's that yes that's right we use the word pelvic health but yes interchangeable with women's health and that probably just means that they don't necessarily treat men or children yeah yeah. So, and how can people get in touch with you? Probably the best would be to look at our website, which is sydneypelvicclinic.com.au, which has all of our services and all of the conditions and lots of information about the different conditions that we see. And we've got our social media. So Sydney Pelvic Clinic um, Facebook page, which again, shares lots of good content and information and our Sydney Pelvic Clinic Instagram. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Angela. It's been, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm always happy to talk about pelvic floors. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player. And while you're at it, we'd love you to leave us a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.